Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our college pastor, Jonathan DeJesus. Good morning. How is everybody doing today? Dads, you... <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you all. Hey, uh, happy Father's Day. Um, love you guys. That's about all we get, so sorry. Um, hey, uh, can I, can I kind of start us off kind of in left field? Is that cool with everybody? Is that all right? I'm unorthodox. It happens. Yeah, you know, you can come see me afterwards. When I was 15 years old, I had this crazy dream. Anyone here dream? Yeah? Anyone here have a scary dream? One of those dreams that wakes you up, you're sweating, you're kind of, your heart is is, is going real fast, racing, and and you kind of stay up the rest of the night because you're like, what was that? Anyone? Am I the only one? Oh, oh, thank you. I got a few of you. I had one of those when I was 15 years old. It has scared me to the core. As I laid in my bed fast asleep, I remember this young boy from Florida standing in a subway. Never been to a subway. No idea what a subway looked like. The only picture I had was from movies. And so I remember standing in a subway and there was nobody. And I was waiting for this train. And I remember that as, as I can hear the train coming, it approached and, and, and it kind of stopped. The door stopped right in front of me and the doors opened. And out stepped this figure. This figure who was ultimately fully in light and, 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 and there was something just different about this figure. I couldn't see the face. But I knew that this figure worked for the kingdom of light, that it worked for God because there was something different that I had never seen before. And so I was like, this is awesome. And so I stepped forward to step into this train and the figure stops me and says, hey, is, is your name on the manifesto? And so I was like, I don't know what a manifesto is. And he's like, just this list right here. Is your name there? And there was this huge list on the wall. And so I started scanning and I started looking and I'm like, it's gotta be here. It's somewhere here. And as I'm getting through the first column, it's not there. There's still a long list of names. I'm scanning and scanning. And at this moment, I just hear these footsteps, all these people rushing to the, to the train. They're all boarding, and I'm still looking and scanning for my name, and I'm now getting a little worried because I'm halfway through this list, I can't find my name. And I'm still looking and searching, and now the footsteps kind of start to decrease because everyone else is already on the train. And so I get to the last list, and I look down, my name's not on the list. And so I tell this figure, say, hey, my name's not on the list. And with great sorrow in the voice, says, I'm sorry, but you need to take a step back. The last group of people get on, and doors close, and it just takes off. And I'm left in this subway by myself. Can you imagine a 15-year-old, what that's like? I wake up afraid. So afraid that I I can't go back to sleep, so I do what 15-year-olds do, no shame if you're a 15-year-old in here, is I ran ran to my mom. Sorry, dads, I know. (laughs) 
My dad was way asleep. So I ran to my mom. And my mom, in this, uh, the most amazing thing she could possibly do in the middle of the night, this 15-year-old young man waking her up saying, Mom, Mom, I had a bad dream. And so I kind of shared with her this dream. And she, in, in this sweet and gentle try and approach, says, maybe God is trying to tell you something. Maybe you need to surrender your life to him. Give it over to him so that the next time the train comes, you don't miss it. You see, from that day on, I decided that I would do everything possible to get on that train. It's been 17 years since that dream. And if I'm honest, I don't know if everything my sweet mother said that night was fully true. Moms, it's okay to say some crazy things in the middle of the night. It's okay. It's nighttime. It's okay. But this, this idea that, that, that kind of was birthed from this, I don't think was healthy. You see, since then, since that dream, I have come to, to, to an understanding in my faith, in our faith, that doing things right does not mean I'll have access onto that train. No matter how good I am or what I do, I'll never be allowed on that train. You see, grace is a gift that is given to us from God. There's nothing I can do to earn it. Right? That's the the first thing that I've learned. The second thing that I've learned is uh, I don't think God was giving me this dream so that I can have this understanding of a get out of hell card. Right? This dream was not so that I can awaken and say, hey, you got to follow Jesus. If not, you're going to burn. I don't think that's what that dream was. Now, I know this is tough at times. I know this idea is hard. But I want to say this, that I do think my mother got something right. You see, I was living my life the way I wanted to. I was living it at, at, at I could do whatever I wanted to. I can, I can go and party. I can go but I think my mother got something right. I do believe God was calling me to surrender my life to him. You see, he was calling me not only to surrender my life to him, but to understand that he is calling me to newness of life. He's calling me into his kingdom so that I can live as a kingdom person here and now. Now, why do I tell you this story? Because today, in our scripture reading, in our text for today, Paul kind of hints on this idea, right? And so if you have a Bible, open up to Romans 13. We're going to end the chapter, Romans 13, verse 11 and 14, through 14. And if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. And this is what it says. It says, beside this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to awake from sleep. For salvation is near to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual moralities or sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify the desires." 
Let's walk through this passage. Verse 11, Paul uses a couple of words and phrases that kind of give us a roadmap as to how he wants to end this chapter and ultimately calls us, you and I, to focus on ultimately how we are to live our lives in the yet, or the, the, the yet but not yet period. Now, I know that's confusing, and this is what this means. It means that, that Jesus has already come and done the great work, but he's not come back yet and finished and consummated it all. So we live in this weird in-between gap that Jesus already came, did the amazing work on the cross, but yet he hasn't returned to fully consummate it all. Make sense? Yeah? Some of y'all are like, that's way too deep, John. Sorry. We'll get there, promise. Right, but there's this idea that Paul uses here in verse 11, and, and, and the four key phrases that he uses are important for us, so if you would throw those up. He says, time, sleep, salvation, and is near. You see, the idea of time, he's not talking about chronological time, as in like one hour, two hour. He's talking about more so in a season or period or an era, right? The idea of sleep is not what you and I did last night. He's ultimately talking about our spiritual selves, how, how we have fallen asleep to the things of God, how we've become lethargic and, and unresponsive to the things of God. Right, the salvation, he's not talking about the moment that you said, God, I'm, I'm surrendering my life to you. He's using this word, this terminology, salvation, as in that final moment, this idea of glorification when he comes back and we'll have this new body and we will be with him in this new heaven, this new earth kind of mentality. And then lastly, is near, is a call for us to, to, to remember that he's coming back. And I think for a lot of us, we have forgotten because we've heard this over and over and over and over and, well, you know, you get it. All right, because if I asked the show of hands, you'd probably all raise your hands that you've been hearing that Jesus is coming back for all of your life. But I think these four words are important for us today because if I'm reading the text correctly, Paul is closing chapter 13 with a prophetic tone. He is calling us to something what is that something? Well, first, I believe Paul is calling us to examine our lives. My first takeaway is that we have a call to examine. Examine what? Examine your life, my life. It's to consider the season that you are in, the period of life that you find yourself in. He wants us to, to put our lives, our beliefs, and even to consider everything that we're doing through the lens of Christ. One of the things that I miss most about living in the North, I know, shocking. One of the things I miss, it's very silly, and, and I hope you catch this illustration, is I miss the seasons. You know, I, you knew when spring came, right? You saw the flowers bloom. You, you enjoyed the little brisk yet warm air, right, from the cold winter. You knew when summer had arrived, right, it began to get a little hotter. Um, it's a little different, right? Kids are out of school. Life was a little bit kind of chaotic because there was disorder within routine. You knew when fall had arrived because all the sweaters had come out. Everybody looked like Mr. Rogers. You knew when winter had finally came. And even if you weren't ready, it was coming. 
right? It, whether you were prepared or not. Now, this idea of the seasons, the, the illustration that I hope you grab is that Paul is saying, does your life have distinctions of you as a follower of Jesus like the seasons? Now, mind you, I didn't understand the seasons, the cycles of the seasons because I was from Florida. It's hot. It's hotter. It's hottest. I mean, I don't even know if there's another word for it. There's no distinction. But when I finally got there, I realized that there, everyone knew when the time came for change. Do people in your life see the change that Christ has had in you? Do they see that the seasons in your life have changed because of Jesus? Or have you stayed the same and nothing has happened in your life? See, Paul is saying, examine your life. Does it look like Jesus? If not, let's get back to it. Listen, I, 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 I've, I've come to a place in my life where I know that hearing this message can become numb over and over and over. And sometimes it gets to the point where sometimes we doubt. Anyone here have any doubts? Am I the only one? Okay. Hey, guys, there's a pastor who has doubts, just FYI, so it's okay. But there's a season in my life where I doubt it a lot. And I've come to this place where the way I get myself out, this isn't, have to, you don't have to do this, but the way I get myself out is simple. Is I look through the Gospels and I say, if Jesus' life was really true, if his resurrection actually happened, and I'm doubting that, why didn't his disciples and apostles, why didn't the followers of Jesus give up? If it wasn't real, why would they give their lives? If it wasn't true, why would they ultimately go to death, go to bat for the resurrection of Jesus? If this idea of Jesus wasn't real, why did so many people die for a lie? And then I call back on the truths of the gospel, that Jesus actually did come back from the grave, that he actually did spend time with his disciples to reassure them that he was alive and not a ghost, that he actually took the time to say, look, what I have done is finally done, that it is sealed, that the resurrection power is alive and well, and guess what? I'm going to give you that same power. It's called the Holy Spirit. That's what pulls me out of that doubt. Paul is asking us, is, is calling us not only to examine our lives, but to understand that there is newness of life in him. My second takeaway is this, is that we have a call to newness of life. Not only are we called to examine our life, but we're called to new life in Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, hey, look, uh, th this life that you used to live, let it go. In verse 12, uh, Paul says that the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now Paul uses this analogy of night and day. And I find it a bit ironic um, that you and I have a saying for this. What, what do we say when someone's attitude changes immediately? It was like they, were, they went from what? Okay, cool. Maybe we don't have a saying, but I'm sure we do because it's an idiom. So 
They go from night to day. It was like their attitude changed from night to day, right? Meaning that they used to be one way and all of a sudden they switched, right, and became another, right? We all have this in our lives. We understand this concept. Paul is saying, look, that, that this idea of night and day is not really new. Look, it, it, the, the, the nighttime is, is in reflection of or representation of the darkness, the, 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 the deep darkness that is in man, this, this depravity that man lives in, and ultimately where the enemy rules. And he's saying, stop living there. Come to the light. Cast off the things that you used to do. Put on Christ. The day is a representation of, of the place where God, Christ himself, reigns, where there is newness of life. Paul is calling us to awaken, awaken from our spiritual slumbers, to cast off the wickedness of sin and to put on the armor of light and to begin to live here and now in this reality. And, and this idea of armor of light was very confusing to me when I first read it because I was like, well, how is this any different than the other thing, the other armor? And it's not. If you read Ephesians 6, 10, 20, you'll see the idea of all of this. But in Ephesians 6, 13, it says this, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. He is calling you and I to wake up. People... Our world needs us to wake up, to stop living in the darkness, to stop doing the things that we used to do, to stop thinking and acting the way we used to act. He's saying, wake up and put Christ on because there is newness of life available to you and I today. You see, this idea of putting on the armor is mightily important because he says it's so that we can withstand the enemy. You see, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and spiritual battles that are happening right now. Each of you is sitting here and the enemy doesn't like that. Each of you is pursuing God, hopefully, and if you're not, I promise you, the moment you do, the enemy ain't gonna like that. But I tell you what, that there is newness of life available to you, that there is power in the name of Jesus Christ to overcome the obstacles in your life, to overcome the darkness. We've gotta put on the armor of God. Paul, or Peter, excuse me, in 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Have we fallen asleep? Have we stopped watching? Have we let down our guard and in so doing allowed the enemy to enter our camp? Paul and Peter are calling us, are, are, are ultimately using a prophetic voice to say, please hear what I am saying. Let it ring in your ears from the moment you wake up to the moment you fall asleep, that, that we should be on guard in this world, that he is calling us out of the darkness and into the light. Paul not only tells us that we have been called to newness of life, but he reminds us that we should also have a heart that is continually being transformed my third is a call for heart transformation. 
Not only are we called to examine our life, not only are you called to a newness of life, but you're called to have a heart that is constantly being transformed into the image of God daily. This isn't something that just uh, is a one-time thing. This is something that is constantly happening when, when the Spirit of God is beginning to, to walk and, 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 and live in me, that he is calling me to look more and more like Jesus Christ. And that takes practice. It takes time. But are you there? Have you gotten to the place where you've allowed God to fully take control of your heart? That he is the one changing it and not you desiring to change it for yourself so that it looks like Jesus is doing it. But instead, you're actually saying, no, Christ, you are everything to me. Take my heart and let it become like yours. You see, Paul is, is, is saying these things not just for the sake of saying them. He's talking to a church in Rome who he is saying, wake up. Look at the people around you. Look where you are. They need you. And so I, Jonathan, here today call you to wake up. Look at the people around you. They need to see Jesus in you. Stop sitting back waiting. Take action. Examine your life. There is newness. Walk in the newness of life. Allow the Spirit of God to transform your hearts daily. Paul, in the 13th verse, he says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual moralities and sexualities, not in quarreling and in jealousy. This means that our fellowship will, of course, lead to works, meaning things that we actually do, that our faith, it comes alongside the things we do, and the thoughts and our actions and our our words will come on behalf of the kingdom of God. But that these works are not something absent from God, but rather that it is the Spirit of God working in you and I to cause a a, a well to begin to swell in our souls and in our hearts that his good works begin to outpour out of our lives because we are living connected to the Father. We are living connected to the Spirit of God. We are living connected to Jesus himself. I know this message isn't an easy one. Sorry, dads but it's one that is needed. I know it is for me. I've got two little ones at home that need me to wake up, need me to examine my life daily, need me to live in the newness of life that is available for me, that I, my heart, be transformed by the Spirit of God every single day. And I know there are people in your life that need you to do the same. You see, our relationship with Jesus helps us to stay on course. It is the Spirit that is guiding us and instructing us to keep our eyes fixed on him. It is his authority that speaks through us in hardships. When we walk in darkness, we don't walk alone because God is with us. I want to close by reading this last verse and then kind of giving us a practical idea, picture really. He says in verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In this book, Richard Lovelace, it's called The Renewal as as a Way of Life. It's a spiritual guide to kind of examine and walk through and see. 
He has these really cool, well, they're cool to me, maybe not to you, but really cool pictures of what it looks like to begin to understand this picture of what God is calling us to. The first one is this, simple, right? This outer circle is life in the world we live in. This inner circle is us. The lines crossing, right, the lines that are crossing are the lines that represent the darkness we're living in. We cannot find God, ourselves or others in the darkness that we live in. And it's hard, right? But the moment that we say, God, I surrender my life to you, something happens. You can go to the next slide. Is that Jesus is inserted at the center of our lives. And he brings clarity. He brings light to to who we are, to who God is, and how we are to respond to one another. How do I find other people and how do I love them the way you call me to, Jesus? Jesus at the center shows us that. Now the third picture is going to be a little confusing because it looks the same, but the word on the inside changes. It's no longer Jesus as in our English translation, but it's Yeshua, right? It's this translation of the Messiah, meaning that now Jesus isn't just Jesus, but he is now Lord of my life. That he is now the one that's going to dictate and and guide me and instruct me as to what it really means to know who God is. How do I love people? Well, it comes from the heart of God. How do I know what my identity is? It's because it's rooted in the person of Christ. And in this last photo, it's beautiful. Because it's once we understand how this Messiah, this Jesus has come into my life to show me who God is, how I'm supposed to love others, how how I am rooted in him, it goes from the inside of me to outside of me. Meaning that I begin to live my life here and now as he calls me to. That my life now is a reflection of what and who Christ is. My hope and my prayer is that we don't let this just become another message. My hope and my prayer is that you would examine your lives, that you would begin to live in newness of life that Christ provides and take the necessary means to begin to live here and now as transformed people. I got one final point, and it's simple. It's that we, there is a call, excuse me, to make Christ Lord of our lives. If you have not gotten to this place yet, My hope and my prayer is that today would be that day, that you would take that action step, that you would say, God, I'm going to submit it all to you here and now because my life looks a little bit crazy because my heart needs you to transform it because I want to walk in newness of life and I want to examine everything that I'm doing so that it reflects you. My sermon in a sentence is this. We are called to be kingdom people who do kingdom things here and now. Not tomorrow, but here and now. God is taking you from the kingdom of darkness, puts you in the kingdom of light, and says, live as my people here and now. Free, full of grace, mercy, forgiveness, love. You and I are called to bear fruit for his kingdom. May this voice, this message, find you where you're at. 
And ultimately, hopefully, my prayer is that it would captivate you for change on this amazing Father's Day. Pray with me. Father God, as we come to this place, Lord, where you're calling us for newness of life, that you are calling us to stop living in the dark world that we live in, to cast off the darkness and to put on the armor of light, the reflection that, 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 that ultimately reflects you in our lives. God, may we not just sit back, may we not become a people who just take in and absorb and consume and just let it sit. But may we become a people that take in, let it resonate with us, and then gives us the action step that we need to go out and be your people. Lord, I ask that you help us here and now to this realization. Lord, and if there's anyone here who is saying, I need this newness of life, may they understand that you are calling them not to, to be someone else, but rather to surrender their lives to you. So God, help us here and now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridge.online.